0: Hey there, I'm Eric J. Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hey everybody, this is Eric J. Olson, your host of this episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. In the Managing Partners Podcast, we interview America's top managing partners to find out how they're running their firms, how they're growing their firms, and what they are doing to keep their case pipeline full. And today I have with me, Tom Dunlap. Hey, Tom. Hey, Eric. Well, appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Sure. Yeah, of course. Let me tell the audience a little bit about you. A former U.S. Cavalry officer, Tom is a founding veteran partner of veteran-owned national law firm Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig. Did I say that right or did I say that wrong again? You did. That All right, perfect. good. By the way, audience, this is take number two because I messed it up the first time. With more than 80 lawyers handling business and intellectual property prosecution, transactions, and disputes, real estate, and government contracts. Tom also holds the distinction of having been lead or local counsel in three United States Supreme Court cases. cases. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, besides that impressive bio, can you tell us a little bit more about you and your firm when you started the firm and how that came about?
1: Sure, uh, in a pretty small-ish nutshell, after I was had spent some time as a prosecutor and then I was at a larger firm, I quit law entirely, enlisted in the army as a private because I just hated the way, hated being a lawyer, hated the way being oh, wow. in a lawyer practice was. While I was in the army, In Officer Basic School, I started putting together the idea of a different kind of law firm. At least this is my personal premise. And when I flipped over to the National Guard off of active duty, I was at a firm and another attorney at that firm and I left. He was a 20th Special Forces Group. I had been a cavalry recon scout and we both kind of had the same ideals about how to practice and who we were as people. And we started the firm in 2001-2. Uh, 2001. And so we were a small shop. And over time, we kind of grew to a critical mass about 2013 or 14. We were about 10 to 12 attorneys and made a decision at that time to cut out one of our four partners at that time, because we had a partnership dispute. And that allowed us to change and grow. And we approached the growth of the law firm as a professional model, as opposed to a standard law firm model. So the idea was to have professional management services have lawyers not do anything but law and clients, which is a huge part of our law firm's growth and the ability to attract other firms. And our growth started with one or two individual lateral partners from bigger firms like McGuire Woods. And then ultimately, our first big firm, I won't say bigger firm acquisition, but seven lawyers joined us 2015, and then 2016, another big firm and Our most recent acquisition of attorneys was late last year, a firm of seven attorneys in Chicago. So we've grown to about 80 plus lawyers in that time period, roughly the last seven or eight years, and uh, have been fairly successful with that by staying on brand, staying focused in the practice areas we're in. We've had some experimental kind of offshoots, um, but we've decided that that wasn't effective. And a lot of it is culture. You know, we have kind of a no, I guess a can use no asshole policy, which is a big part of our partner addition process. And then the way we run the law firm, we don't have lawyers participate in managing things like office space, paper, supplies, things that they shouldn't do. That's really how our firm grew and how
0: we came to be. Let's go back in time a little bit. So you mentioned, I think you said it was 2013, When you kind of redefine the role of lawyers in the business, what was it like before and after what were some of those big shifts there?
1: So for me, the big shift was I went back to school to get my MBA in 2007. And I finished that in 2012 and all of my group projects at the end of that, because most of my fellow students, I was at university of Maryland did not care what group project we did. They just were like, come up with a group project. So I did all of my group projects the last year of my MBA on law practice. For you. like consumer sensitivity, pricing, uh, what practice areas were the most valuable, what structural law firm for compensation would be the most effective to make partners feel like things would be fair. So splitting everything you know, four ways or three ways are very ineffective and something always falls apart mm-hmm. there. did a lot of work on that thanks to being in an MBA program that made me do some of this. And uh, I kind of rolled out of there with a bunch of ideas on paper. And since I had a platform to do it, And once we got rid of this challenging partner, a bunch of partners who were interested in doing something that way, we were able to implement a lot of the things that I had notions about, and a lot of them are effective and you can find them in a host of books on the subject, which hadn't been written yet. But other people have since said, lawyers should really be focused on practicing law and things like that. And, you know, rates are, you know, define higher rates. Don't hurt you as a lawyer. They can help you things, just things that are. Seem like common sense, maybe to us now, or to a lot of people now, not all layers, but that were sort of novel at the time or not written
0: about. Was that transition a little risky or scary for you and the other partners?
1: I mean, so my job in the army was to shoot people and get shot at. So putting things in perspective, you know, having seen horrible things, yeah. I don't find any of this really scary. Uh, I just, again, it's all a matter of perspective, but I, I thought it was exciting and interesting and academically challenging, intellectually, um, well, maybe both intellectually and academically challenging. Well, yeah, I think a lot of
0: managing partners slash business owners, generally speaking, it's difficult to make change, right? And there's a lot of wanting to hang on to the status quo. You mentioned before, like adding and removing practice areas, right? Like a little bit of experimentation. And sometimes people just don't want to, they want to stay in their lane regardless of whether it's going well or not. But I think it's really important. What you you said is that you've added, you've removed, you've experimented with the business model, and it's worked out. You've had multiple acquisitions and you're up to 80 lawyers. That's impressive. That's not easy to do. How many states do you cover, by the way?
1: Uh, Probably with physical offices. I think we're in seven states physically, but from a bar perspective, since we do IP litigation, we're probably practicing in most of the states. We have cases all over the place. It's just a patent venue, which was decided by this TC Heartland case, which is one of the Supreme Court cases I was amicus counsel in and we lost. Uh, You used to be able to bring a patent case wherever you wanted to. So everything was either in Texas or maybe Eastern District of Virginia or Southern District of New York. But after that case, you now had to go after patent defendants where they have corporate headquarters. That was the Supreme Court decision in 2017. So as a result, we're all over the place. Got it. Okay. Um, that makes our it you know, main offices are Tyson's Corner our biggest office. Uh, that's Vienna, Virginia. And then uh, Leesburg, Richmond. Uh, Chicago is a big office for us with seven lawyers. And Tulsa, Oklahoma, and New York City, and Atlanta, and Delaware. We have physical offices. Also in Texas, we have one attorney, and we're looking to grow that one now as well.
0: There you go. All right, one more thing that you mentioned, then we'll move on. Uh, you said a no-hassle policy. What did you mean by that?
1: So no hassle policy, I guess, when it comes to interaction with managing the firm. So a lot of lawyers, I'm in this managing partner group at the Virginia State Bar, and we meet every couple of months. We just had our first meeting. And when we each introduced ourselves, all the managing partners in Virginia and this council, everybody looked at me like I had three heads when I said, we've gone to a professional management model. I have a CEO and a CFO and a CMO. And really, lawyers are doing law and getting clients. They all seemed surprised and were kind of like, why would you do that? And all I can think to myself is, why wouldn't I? It's massively successful and it makes practicing a lot more fun and what you went to law school for. So the no hassle policies, we don't put, we don't require partners to be on committees or to, we should hire this paralegal or move that desk. It's just, that's silly stuff to me. It's not silly yeah. stuff. It's important stuff, but it's stuff that you didn't go to law school to do. And it's a waste of your billable hour. And so that's and it's the a no challenge. No hassle policy.
0: Yeah, and it seems to be a challenge too, because like you said, they didn't go to law school for these things, right? But they're having to run a business now. Right, it's like uh, doctors
1: flying airplanes. Maybe it's not a good idea.
0: (laughs) Well, that was a really good overview of the company. I appreciate all that information. Hey there, this is Eric J. Olson, the CEO of Array Law. If you're ready to work with a world-class digital marketing company, reach out. You can find us online at arraylaw.com or call us at any time. 757-333-3021. Let's shift a little bit to marketing, right? So this is mostly a a marketing show. Uh, We're a digital marketing agency. So we're always interested to know what firms are doing that's either working or not. So actually, let's let's go right to that question. What are some things that you are doing right now that is working especially well for you?
1: So I will tell you, Eric, that in the digital marketing space, now you've talked to one of my friends who has a law firm and I've helped him a lot with that firm and for his for certain practice areas digital marketing marketing is far and away the most effective and best way to get new clients and he does domestic relations law divorce law fantastic for what we do we have tried so many things in the digital marketing space uh, but our practice areas are all long what I call long tail sales so it really takes our digital focus is on brand awareness presence and authority giving the attorneys in our firm authority voices through blogs, through our, our hosted podcast, which you will be a guest on soon, the Black Letter Podcast. I'm excited to have you on there, our business podcast, but through other things, LinkedIn posts, having them speak at CLEs, having them attend and write treatises, the Virginia State Treaties from Virginia CLE on intellectual property something I co-write with one of my law partners and we redo it every two years. So we teach the class on the essentials of intellectual property litigation but creating authority voices for every single practice group and and every single partner or associate that we can. And I think that has been the most effective. The challenge is that it's relationship driven. So you get a contact and you have to make three or four. I mean, you, you know, the long tail sales process, you have to make three or four contacts, convince the corporate counsel, convince the CEO or have the corporate counsel convince the CEO to hire you for one thing, you do a thing that's good. Then they'll talk to you about more things. And that's kind of how you work your way into relationships. Whereas with consumer facing things, you can put content out there. They can see your resume and they can say, oh, I'll buy that consumer facing product." now caveat, there are a couple things that we do that are, I would call them quasi consumer facing and could be very effectively digitally marketed too, but they're so hyper competitive because everybody else knows this too. And that's base patent prosecution and trademark prosecution, filing trademarks and filing patents. Almost everything else we do, trademark litigation, patent litigation, M and A work, maybe business formations falls into that cons- quasi consumer facing thing or small business facing thing, but those things can be digitally marketed to, it's just a big lift and you have to be the right brand to do it. And our brand, so you have to make a decision, right? And you know, all of this, cause this is what you do, but we've made a decision consciously to be that a high touch brand, of experts, and that's what we are, you know, our average partners 20 plus years, but it's, so that's the challenge. Sorry, yeah. no, your, your turn. <laughs> Sorry. No,
0: I, I, that, that was great. And I, I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. Depending on the practice area, the approach to marketing is completely different. So right. personal injury lawyer, as an example, lots of advertising, you got to get yeah. in front of those people and you have to get attention, not so much authority figure, get attention first, get them to your website, and then you can show them that there's a serious side to your law firm.
1: Oh, and they yeah. spend billions. Yeah, Morgan and Morgan. I mean, you know all these, these guys, but yeah.
0: That's right. Family law, a little bit different. Higher touch, right? More compassionate for sure. The people that run family law firms versus PI firms, completely different personalities. Well, but I
1: would like to just, and again, I don't do family law, but I've been co-helping my friend, John, run his and run his marketing campaigns. But this is interesting, right? The consumers are still relatively agnostic when they're first looking for a lawyer. They don't necessarily have, when you're selling M&A work or patent litigation, you're asking five other companies for referrals and recommendations. Not so with domestic relations, very similar to personal injury. They're kind of in a field of, I don't know where to go. So they're getting their first touch information from the web. They're learning about the bio. It is, I do think you're right. It's got to focus on I'm so-and-so domestic relations attorney, and I am special and care for you, and it's much more high touch and bringing somebody in, it's much more deliberate than personal injury. You fall and call somebody right away, yeah. but it's still, the, those consumers are still susceptible to digital marketing because they don't have any other basis for finding an attorney. They're Yellow Page, they're the former Yellow Page users. You know, Anybody from Gen Z has no idea what a Yellow Page is, But. Um, you know, that's what I'm talking about. That's how yeah,
0: they're finding. You're absolutely right. And so it's it's really like, uh, you know, B2C businesses, right? Because uh, those kinds of attorneys are marketing to consumers directly, whereas you're more of a B2B B business, you're marketing right. to other businesses. And so when it comes to the, the business law, it's like you mentioned authority several times. You need to establish authority. You need to establish a presence. You need to establish that uh, you're an expert. And it really comes down to, in my opinion, thought leadership. You need a thought right. leadership platform. So what's a thought leadership platform? Certainly there's a website, there's blogs, there's a podcast like you have. You need to get your voice out there and be able to express yourself and then use all that content that you're creating for marketing and frankly sales purposes, right? So (laughs) if you create a podcast that's relevant to a prospect that just came in, you could answer their contact us form like you normally would, but maybe include a link to the podcast episode that's relevant to what they're asking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tom just spoke about this here. Listen to his podcast where he interviews some famous person. So it's relevant.
1: You're doing now, right, Eric? So exactly what you do. I'll I'll say something that we did that I think is unique. And so we created, we have podcasts like this on our Black Letter show that are longer in-depth interviews where we talk to an expert like you about marketing law firms and things like that. But we also do a Monday morning minute. It's a two-minute show every Monday morning, and it'll be a quick hit like, What is secondary meaning in trademarks? What is, the one I did this week was, what is the law that Putin relied on to invade Ukraine? What is the international law that is Article 2, Subsection 4 of the UN Charter? You know, how did he violate that? He relied on Article 51. But I'll do a two-minute podcast explaining something really quick. I don't think I'm going to get any emails about, you know, Putin should have invaded. I want to sue him, right? But some of the things that we get I can literally send a two-minute podcast out, and in the day and age of TikTok, uh, you know, oh, yeah. it's, you've got to have something digestible and consumable. So we, we've been doing a lot of those two-minute shows where we'll say, what is a state, you know, just something quick every morning. And we have a lot of 19,000 listeners. Well, we have 19,000 unique downloads, so not sure. listeners. That's not good. Listeners. But, but what they've said is, it's great because it's two minutes, and I can invest that. And I was like, well, thanks for two minutes a week. You know, hey I
0: mean that's that's asking a lot,
1: right? Yeah, uh, it is funny. I could that have watched was... a cat video in those two minutes or three videos of somebody dancing,
0: but yeah. instead
1: I'm gonna listen to you. So,
0: are are you using that content for social media? Do it, we do post video
1: LinkedIn it and fit, Yeah, we cross post every every Monday morning. Good. Um Good. Yeah. and we try to do things that so two weeks ago I did one on the only salad dressing in the federal code french dressing it was codified in the 1950s three weeks ago it was about Gruyere cheese the fda just declassified it. it doesn't have to be from switzerland anymore and there's a whole legal battle between switzerland Gruyere, and the fda over that classification but so so and, you know random thing funny yeah
0: that's Listen, good the, is funny. The, the, the quick hits are good we have another podcast our original podcast is called Journey to a hundred million dollars because our goal is okay. to build a, a large mm-hmm. agency, and like those that. are those are daily. It's me and my co-founder, but they're somewhere between four and ten minutes long, and usually on the shorter side, four, five, six minutes at the most. We exactly. actually came up with the concept so that it would run as an Alexa. What do they call them? A daily. Um, I forget what they call them the Daily Podcast. A flash okay. briefings. That's what they call them. Flat. I'm the Alexa Flash you? Briefings, which used to be really big, but they're not so big anymore. Yeah. And it can only be 10 minutes long, but what what we really liked is that there's a lot of benefit. People like the shorter episodes. And frankly, it's a lot easier to record five minute episode of max of 10 versus 50 minutes, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, for sure. Totally agree. And then we use that for social media as well. So it's all video. We used to do audio only, but now we record those as video. We extract the audio for the audio part. And then the video becomes all of our social media. So like all my social media on Instagram is is based on that, which is great. It's multi-purposing and cross-promoting and you, you say the same message over and over again, just in different forms.
1: Fantastic,
0: no, I love it. Well, cool, so you, you've had really good growth, by the way, congratulations on 21 years in oh business. Gosh. That's impressive, that's not easy to accomplish. So age uh, crap, big right. respect for that, good for you. What are your growth yeah. plans for the future?
1: So we do think that platform size is a big part of law practice in the field that we practice in, not necessarily for every practice, but in the M&A IP litigation field, we are reaching the point where bigger Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies will hire us uh, because our bench is deep enough in certain practices like IP litigation or IP prosecution, where we're top 10 in trademarks every year. We've been number three. We're top 20 in patent prosecution every year in the whole country, which is saying, there's a lot of... Darn lawyers in this country, but our growth plan is we think that a platform of at least 100 attorneys puts us in a real competitive space with the very, very big law firms and provides a lot of stability. We're very close to that. I don't think there's a limit. So honestly, I just tell you, and this, this sounds flaky, but it's true because I've, I've aged to the point where I don't care if it sounds flaky. My goal is that any lawyer who does what we do and is not happy should be happy here. Uh, I mean, we have created an environment where if you're not a jerk and you wanna practice law the way you wanna practice, we have so many flexible structures for partners that I don't think there's a limit to our growth size. We could be a thousand lawyers. The challenge is convincing lawyers that it's real. But the great thing is now that I have so many partners and associates at the firm, and unlike other firms who acquire lateral practices, because we've been approached two or three times, um, we don't say, call this guy. Here's the guy to call. Here's a phone number. I say, look, look on the website, call anybody you want, anytime you want. If you want an E intro, I'll do it. Because if you're not happy here, we'll have a party for you. If you want to go somewhere else or start your own thing, whether you're an associate or a partner, because that's really the goal is we're trying to create an environment where lawyers aren't all screwed up in the head, where they're not killing themselves, where they're living, they're working to live and not living to work. And that sounds cliche, but, you know, it is what it is. That's literally honestly our goal. We want people to a happy lawyer makes a better lawyer, a safer lawyer. They're just better at what they do, they're their best then. So sounds flaky. I'll just no, call, it doesn't. I'll call, I'll call, Tom, call I love it. Me. I think it's great. I, I love the
0: enthusiasm and the ambition because there's a tendency these days for people to be very modest and humble, but it's okay to have a big vision. And <laughs> and 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 when do you but the thing is like a lot of people don't express their vision, their dreams. And if you don't put it out in the universe, it makes it a lot more difficult to achieve that. But if you start telling people what your dreams are, what your goals are, and you'll be surprised that they'll rally behind you. They will help you achieve that. So when you say we could be a thousand lawyer firm, absolutely. By the way, we work a lot of different practice areas. And I mentioned uh, PI, family, and, yeah. and business. What I absolutely have found is that uh, when it comes to, those are the three primary ones, by the way, uh, that we work with. Family, very local, city-based mostly, although they sure, can practice yeah. a further, but it's basically city-based. PI, sure state level. When yeah. I look at that, when I come across a big firm, it's always a business firm. And I mean yeah. always, right? Yeah. And so the, the, the business firms have the ability to scale out to the 50 states, maybe beyond, but No other practice areas seem to have that natural ability. At least it just doesn't happen as frequently.
1: Well, part of it, Eric, is what we do. For example, when we were 20 something lawyers, we wouldn't have been, we were considered by some big company. I have a friend who was corporate counsel at a huge company, very good friend. He's like, I put you on the list, but, and I think we were 30 or 40 lawyers at the time. And he said, but, you know, the CEO and the board just felt your firm was too small. You know they knew you were great great resume loved everything about you and this guy was chief counsel at the company but he said you guys are just too small there's this the kind the kind of law that we do you have to be a certain size and have a certain bench for ip litigation we're there we have i think of our 83 lawyers like 30 to probably 40 something of them do almost exclusively ip and then probably another 10 or 15 do at least half of their practice involves IP if they're in litigation or something like that. So we have a very deep bench there. You know, the challenge for a firm like ours, honestly, is when it comes to M&A or real estate, and we have three or four or five lawyers that do that, we don't have a bench for a Fortune 500 company right now. We can do a transaction, but we can't do five of those transactions at the same time. We found that out last year when, I don't know if you know this in, in our industry, uh, in the M&A I'm not an M&A, I'm IP, but it was crazy. Uh, And we had to turn deals away. So, you know, it's the size of the law firm. The reason you see business law firms and IP law firms that are that big is they have to be because they can't physically do the work. It took, uh, we did a three-year patent litigation case that I was lead on. There's a you know, I think we won $30 million. It took 15 lawyers almost full-time on that case just to do the case. I mean, it, it was a big case, to be fair, but... How could a firm of twenty lawyers do that and then exist after the case is over? It couldn't. Yeah, ha- so you have to be of a critical mass to be able to handle those cases, and then, you know, cyclically have enough business support for other things for those lawyers when that case ends.
0: Yeah, fifteen lawyers working on one file, one case—that's that's a big team for sure.
1: But it's pretty common in this space.
0: Well, this has been great, Tom. I appreciate your time. What is a good way for people to reach out to you if they would like to connect or they have questions for you?
1: Uh, So they can check out our website at dbllawyers.com. That's D-B-L Delta Bravo Lima, and then lawyers, dot scom where they can call our nationwide toll-free number 800-747-9354. And hit me up on LinkedIn. I don't know how you feel. I'll ask you since you're a marketing guy. People are like, I don't connect with people on LinkedIn unless I know them, know them. If I don't think it's a fake profile, it's a business place, I connect with anybody who asks me to connect, as long as it's not purely, you know, a spam person, that's not a real person that, you know, is, I don't know, a hacker. Yeah. What's your opinion on that? I'm kind of curious, actually, how do you use LinkedIn? Sure. So
0: LinkedIn is not Facebook, you go to Facebook for a particular reason, and that's to share photos with friends and family, and people that you know, you don't normally connect with people that you don't know. LinkedIn is for business with business. You don't just stick with your little tribe. If you did, and you want to connect with anyone besides the people in your office or a really small ecosystem. So you should treat it like a networking event. You yeah. go around, you say hi to people you don't know. When you go to a networking event, the, the point is not to stand in a corner with your friends. The point is to network. And so yeah. you should network. It doesn't mean that you have to meet everyone there, but you shouldn't be afraid of accepting requests to connect. As an example, I probably reached out to you. I don't recall exactly how it was, but I probably reached out to you through LinkedIn. It's a great way to find people that you want to connect with because in business because you can search by title, you can search by industry, you can search by company size. There's a lot of different ways you can search. So you can, you can really target in to the kinds of business people that you want to connect with. And so connect with them, say hi, send them a message. If you have a thought, leadership platform, like a podcast, like this podcast, invite them on, get to know the person. So, right. was, you know, Tom, you and I just spent almost half an hour recording this never mind of five or 10 minutes beforehand. And we'll talk afterwards, right? So I'm, I'm getting to know you. Otherwise, if I was, you know, concerned about only connecting with people that I knew, we'd never get this opportunity. So it, LinkedIn is good for that. I don't hang out on it. I don't read right. uh, the feed but I absolutely use it for connecting and messaging.
1: So the, so the thing I tell partners in my firm, not, they don't have your password, you're just connecting with them on a business platform and you can unconnect with the click of a button if they start spamming you. I'm a proselytizer of using platforms the way they're supposed to be used, even within my own firm, which, you know, again, growth challenges.
0: Yeah, so. yeah you're right. The biggest risk is that you connect with someone and then they start sending you a ton of sales messages and you, you don't have to accept those. You can just disconnect or ignore them. And, yep. and a lot of times when it comes to quote marketing online you could just straight up ignore these folks right they'll send you an email you just you could just delete it you'll never hear you may they may send you another email you can delete that one too you can market a spam but very few salespeople these day and age very few marketers will actually like take the trouble to try to reach out and contact you uh, right. in some other way besides electronically and so yeah.
1: you could just ignore them
0: you know it's very I, I do it all the time. I get a ton of spam and I just ignore, ignore, ignore. Yep.
1: Totally agree with you. Awesome. That's- Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack you, but just-
0: All good. No, I appreciate it. Now, this has been a great conversation. All right, everybody. Go check out Tom's website. Again, it's uh, uh, dbllawyers.com. And if you would like to check out other episodes like this, you can go to arraylaw.com slash podcast. Every one of our episodes is tagged by the practice area of the managing partner and the state they practice in. So you can find exactly what you're looking for. And if you are looking for digital marketing for your law firm, I'd like you to consider my firm, which is Array Digital. You can find us at arraylaw.com. We specialize in website development, online advertising, search engine optimization, and social media. All right, Tom, thanks so much. Thanks, take care. We've been recording this podcast free of charge for years. Hopefully you're getting amazing value out of it. We don't ask for much, but would you do us one favor? Would you tell just one person about this podcast? If you get any value whatsoever, all we ask, and we'd greatly appreciate it, is share the podcast with one person just like you.